This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. Let me encourage you to open your Bibles up to Mark chapter 5. Let's bow and have a word of prayer, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we, um, we want to see this world um, in the light, uh, in your way. And I, I pray, God, for, for the need in our lives and the need in our church and the need des- desperately in our country. God, that we would open our eyes and see this world as you created it. See this world as you do. The Bible tells us you love the world so much that you gave your son Jesus to die for us. Pray, Father, that we'll learn today from this lesson in the Gospel of Mark, from this miracle that Jesus did, uh, that we don't need to have any pride in our lives, but we need to surrender that pride and come to you in humility and see what you can do. So bless your word to us this morning, God. May we listen with open hearts. If there's one here today that who does not yet know you as Savior, I pray that this might be the day their, their spirits are quickened, made alive by your grace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. For our guests, we are in a series all summer. Uh, in fact, it concludes next Sunday, uh, going through a lot of the miracles that Jesus did uh, that are recorded in, his go- in the Gospels. Uh, two weeks ago, we zeroed in on the woman who was at the end of her rope earlier here in chapter 5, and she humbly reached out and she put her faith in Jesus to end her desperation. If you missed that part of the story, uh, let me encourage you to go to our website uh, or the Facebook page and you can pick it up and you can watch and listen uh, to where we were a couple of Sundays ago. Today we're going to finish that story because that story is actually two miracles in one story. They're, they're kind of put together uh, because that's the way they happen. And it began with this man named Jairus, verse 21 of Mark chapter 5. When Jesus had crossed over again by the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. This is the Sea of Galilee up in northern Israel. One of the synagogue leaders, a synagogue leader was akin, very similar to what we would think of in the church today as an elder, as a pastor. Uh, That's kind of how we can best understand his role there in the community and and in the synagogue, named Jairus, came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and kept begging him. My little daughter is at death's door. Come and lay your hands on her so she can get well and live. And so Jesus went with him and a large crowd was soon following and pressing against him. To give you an idea of how tight this crowd was, the word pressing here is the same word that was used when it talked about the Roman soldiers pressing a crown of thorns into his skull. Same Greek word, pressing. I mean, there, there was a lot, there wasn't any arm room, there wasn't a whole lot of wiggle room. They were right up against Jesus, pressing against him. Drop down with me to verse 35. And while he, while Jesus was still speaking to the woman and saying to her, if you back up one verse, your faith has made you well, go in peace and be free from your affliction. She was healed. While he's still speaking to her, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, 
Your daughter's dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? But when Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, Jairus, don't be afraid. Only believe. He did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James' brother. And they came to the leader's house and saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And he went in and said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they started laughing at him. But he put them all outside. And he took the child's father, mother, and those who were with him, Peter, James, and John, and entered the place where the child was. And then he took the child by the hand and said to her, this is in the Aramaic language that he speaks to her. He says, Talitha Kumai, which is translated little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. At this, they were utterly astounded, and he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this and said that she should be given something to eat. Here's what we know about Jairus, this man, this ruler of the synagogue. He was a ruler of the synagogue, which meant he was a respected citizen, a community leader. Everybody in town knew who he was. Unlike the woman that we met the last time in the middle of this story, woman with the issue of blood, unlike her, he was openly vocal. She just sneaked up behind Jesus and reached out and touched his robe. Never said a word. He comes, falls on his knees before him and pleads and pleads and pleads. Mark says he kept pleading about the source of his despair. We know that the Jewish leaders, like this man Jairus, we know they were at best skeptical of Jesus. So for this man to come and get down on his knees and cry out to Jesus for his help was really an act of humility, a humbling thing. You remember the story in John 3 of Nicodemus, another ruler of the Jews who came to Jesus at night when nobody was watching, when no one could see him to have a conversation with him. He was a ruler of the synagogue, Jairus. He was a loving but frenzied follower. He came running, it says, up to Jesus why did he run? Because there was no time to lose. His daughter's dying. He had this dying 12-year-old daughter. There was nothing he could do about her condition. Matthew's wording of the same story has Jesus, has, excuse me, Jairus saying to Jesus, my daughter's life has come to the end. He knew the critical condition that she was in. She was, wrote Luke, who was a doctor. Luke said she was dying. So it was obvious to all what was wrong with this girl. And Jairus, although he may not yet believe in Jesus as his Messiah, Jairus knows from what he's heard and maybe what he's seen, because he's been to this town before, he can heal the sick. The interruption as Jairus and Jesus are on their way to his house. They're in this crowd and now they're walking through the city streets going to his house and there's this interruption caused by this woman in the crowd who was healed by touching his robe. You know, I try, try to put my place in Jairus in, in his shoes. I, I would have been terribly, incredibly irritated by that. My daughter's dying, don't you understand? She's only got minutes to live perhaps and now we're going to stop and talk to this woman? What in the world? 
Imagine you're rushing your deathly ill child to the emergency room and you come up on a traffic accident out here on the highway that stops you and it's just backed up and there's no way to get through. Imagine what's going on in your heart. And then while Jesus was still talking to the woman, telling her your faith has healed you, while he's saying those words, messengers come from Jairus' home and tap him on the shoulder and say, too late, she's dead. The worst news he's ever heard as a parent. It says something to us that, however, that Jesus did not neglect the needs of this lowly woman. Probably, remember, she was an outcast because for 12 years she's been unclean ceremonially. People can't get around her. They can't touch her. She can't go to the temple and worship God. She can't sacrifice. She's an outcast. She's marginalized. And Jesus it says something to you and me about Jesus that he does not stop dealing with her and reaching out to her and healing her and speaking to her in love as he called her daughter. This lowly, nobody knows her name woman to rush to the home of the leader in the community that everybody knows. As a matter of fact, we know his name, Jairus. He wasn't trying to impress anyone. But I wonder, you and me, what would we have thought had we been Jairus? Are you ladies, maybe you're, you're the mother at home with the sick child and you're watching the life leave her body and, and you're wondering what's taking him so long. I can hear the crowd. They're not far away, but they haven't moved. What would you have thought? Coupled with the grief, might be anger toward Jesus because he stopped. Anger toward the woman for daring to interrupt, reach out to him. Anger toward the crowd for slowing him down. If everybody would just get out of the way and let him come on. Anger toward God because this God that you, Jairus, you've been serving allowed your sweet little girl to die so young. You know, you're not supposed to bury your child. She's supposed to bury you. In your notes this morning, sometimes the Lord's delay brings the greater demonstration of his power. Did you get that? We want God right now. You know, we are so accustomed in this country and in this society in the day in which we live. We want everything right now. You know how frustrating it is when you're on your computer or on your device and you hit something, a button, and you expect the next page or the next thing to pop up? And it takes a few seconds, maybe three. And you're ready to toss it in the trash. You're ready to call, you know, tech support. What's wrong here? You ever try to go to McDonald's here in the Outer Banks and get fast food? <laughs> you, though you folks who are on vacation, you heard all the locals laughing. Why? Taint nothing fast about it. I've had to ask God many times for forgiveness before I picked up that quarter pounder. You know, Lord... Why is God taking so long? Sometimes his delay brings a greater demonstration of his power. Remember this principle. Remember this. You might jot this somewhere. God is not bound by my timetable, by my calendar, by my watch. He's not. He's not bound by anything. He's not bound by, he's not bound by what is urgent to me. 
Did you hear that? Jesus hears what they're saying and he sees the fear. He hears the guy say she's dead and he looks at Jairus and he sees the fear in his eyes and he says something incredible to this man. Don't be afraid. Only believe. And I'm sure Jairus is thinking, believe what? She's dead. It would prove to be, however, the best news he had ever heard. But did it mean when they came to him and said she's dead, did it mean that all hope is lost? Believing that Jesus can heal, he must have been thinking, is one thing. Okay, you know, I've heard about that. I know he's done that. But believing he can raise someone from the dead, man, that ratchets believe up a bunch of notches, doesn't it? That's a big step. What's more impossible, healing a sick person or raising a dead person? He's, come, he's going to find out for Jesus. Neither one's more impossible. You may know that the word for believe, Jesus said only believe the believe. The word for believe and the word for faith are the same word in the Greek language, the language that Jesus' words were written in the Gospels for us by Mark here. He was telling him, you need to trust me with this. He was telling him to believe that he, I got this covered. He was saying, believe in me and I'll take care of what now has you in fear. Even in the face of death, he was telling Jairus, even in the face of death, you do not need to fear. And it seems that in all these miracles we've been looking at, most of them anyway, this summer, Jesus is, re hear me, he is repeatedly teaching the disciples that they have no need to fear anything. Over and over again. Why are you afraid? What can be more frightening than death? So if faith, if believing, can overcome the fear of death, Christian, you answered this back in your own mind to me as I ask you this question. If believing in Jesus, faith can overcome the fear of death, what fear that you and I might have? What scenario that we can imagine? What nightmare have we had that faith cannot conquer that fear? And the answer is what? None. Nothing. I wonder, as I read this, I'm reading this story, and one of the questions that comes to my mind is, well, did Jairus believe at that moment? Jesus says, hey, don't fear, just believe. Did that all of a sudden Jairus go, born again? Did Jairus believe at that moment? I don't know, but Mark doesn't, the gospel writers don't include any argument from Jairus. There was no, yeah, but she's dead. Yeah, but it's too late. Yeah, but we're, we should have arrived earlier. Yeah, but I don't know that you can do this, Jesus. There's no argument from Jairus. It wasn't him who came and said, why bother? It was the messengers who came from his house, and evidently they did not have this kind of faith that Jesus was talking about. So second point in your notes is don't be discouraged by the skeptics. Skeptics. We all have skeptics in our lives, don't we? Those people that doubt that the Christ you believe in is real. And it's not that they doubt your faith. And they'll probably tell you, I don't doubt that you believe. I just doubt your Christ. 
I doubt this gospel that you say you believe in. I doubt that all I need do is put my faith in this one person because he died on a cross, he was executed, and, and, and they say he rose again, and you're saying if I believe in him, I have everlasting life and all my sins are forgiven. I don't know that I want to believe that. I'm glad you do. To them, people like that, prayer is a waste of time. To them, you could be doing, all of you, to them, you could be doing something far more productive or enjoyable right now than sitting in a room with a bunch of, of other people singing songs and listening to someone paid to tell you how to live. Isn't that what they think? Skeptics. You have people like that in your life? Raise your hand if you know somebody like that in your life. Yeah. I think we all do. Unless we live in a cave. In all fairness to these messengers, they had never seen a dead person come back to life. Never seen that before. To them, death was final. But learn a lesson from Jairus. Jairus didn't listen to them. And then Jesus did something different than we've seen him do in the other miracles. He told nine of his 12 closest followers, his disciples, he says to nine of them, you guys stay here outside the house. And he only allowed three, Peter, James, and John, to go on with him to Jairus' house and into his home. And here's something that you need to realize about Jesus as a Christian, as you're walking through your journey and as you're being discipled. Jesus didn't always teach the public. Sometimes he taught the private group. Okay? He didn't always include everybody in his teaching. Sometimes he taught the private these three men, Peter, James, and John, they would be the three primary leaders in the early church. So he's going to give them now a private lesson. When he gets to the house, it's crowded with family. It's crowded with neighbors, no doubt members of the synagogue. It's loud, Mark tells us. Lots of commotion is the word that's there. Middle East tradition was when someone died <clears throat> to hire, you hired, especially if you had the means, and I would think that Jairus perhaps did, you hired, this, this will sound funny to us, you hired professional mourners, people that were paid to come to your house and weep and wail and put on a show. And I guess the idea was the more weeping and wailing there was going on about the person who died, that maybe the more that person was loved. So you would actually hire people. We don't know that he did, but it's a good chance that maybe they were there. Certainly with Jairus, being a leader in the community, his daughter's death grieved many people. I'm sure word spread fast. Rabbi Jairus' daughter is dying. His daughter's death grieved many people, and it probably was hard just to get into the house and even inside, Mark tells us, in the house was a crowd. It was packed out. The child has died. Jairus' wife, she, the girl's mother, was inconsolable. He had left her there alone with their dying daughter and said he's going out to find this rabbi, Jesus, who maybe could make a difference. And he, this had to grieve him. He was not there when she drew her last breath. And I can picture myself in this home and this mother with the tears streaming down her face, cradling this lifeless body of her 12-year-old girl and just weeping and rocking and wailing. 
And then Jesus asks an unbelievable question. Why all the noise? Why all the sadness? She's not dead. She's sleeping. They're thinking, what? I'm sure there was a doctor there that had pronounced her dead. What? And the response was to laugh at Jesus as though he was joking. And that tells me either they didn't know who he was, and I think that's what the deal was. They didn't know who Jesus was. Or they thought this was beyond his powers, and they laughed at Jesus. A lot of people laugh at Jesus these days, don't they? Those skeptics we talked about, some of them are also mockers. Don't let the mockers stop you from your mission. If you've ever spoken the truth from God's word, and many of us in this room have, we share the scriptures with our friends, with our neighbors. People ask us about the hope that's within us, and we share what we believe from the word of God. And sometimes people will mock and they'll laugh. And when the people mock and laugh at you because of what you believe, when you share with them the word of God, it might make you stop. It might make you back up and retreat. It might make you clam up. No one likes to be laughed at, especially when you're being sincere and expressing your faith in Christ or you're doing what you know God has led you to do and then people laugh at you. Being laughed at hurts, but you can't let it stop you. Jesus was here in this house, I talked about don't let the mockers stop you on your mission. He was there in this house to do one thing. Heal the, heal the girl, right? Well, that's secondary. That's kind of a byproduct. He's here to do one thing. By raising her up from the dead, he will reveal to these five other adults in the room, Jairus, Mom, Peter, James, and John, he will reveal to them his identity as the one and only Son of God. But was she dead or was she asleep? Jesus just said she's sleeping. Did he literally mean that she was alive, just not responsive? Luke records that when Jesus spoke to her, Luke says, the doctor, he said when Jesus spoke to her, quote unquote, her spirit returned. Now return means what? Means it's gone somewhere else and it's come back. Her spirit returned. Your spirit is that part of you that leaves when you die. It's the part of you that lives on forever in heaven or suffers forever in hell. It's the spirit that Paul was speaking of when he said in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8, to be out of the body is to be home with the Lord. He's talking about my spirit. Then why did Jesus say sleeping? Maybe it was because she would only be dead a short time. It was like she was taking a nap. Paul used the word sleep to describe death and the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, he said, we will not all fall asleep. He's talking about death. We will not all die, but he uses the word sleep like Jesus did, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. So when he says she's asleep, he's using a metaphor here. There's no such thing, by the way, as soul sleep. There's no limbo You're either dead or you're alive, aren't you? Not like in The Princess Bride, mostly dead. She was dead. So here's the question. I'm, I'm asking this question as I'm reading this. And Luke says her spirit 
returned when Jesus said those words. So I want to know, where was her spirit during this time that she was dead? And the answer is, I don't know. You don't know? No, that's okay. I don't have to know it all. Please get that. This guy doesn't know it all. I don't know. I don't believe she's a believer in Jesus yet, so I could not honestly say that she was in heaven. No, she's not a believer in Christ. Now, she's likely to become a believer in Jesus after she's told what happens here. So I can't say that she's in hell. Don't think so. That wouldn't make sense. But let me say to you this. What happens in this story isn't the norm. This is not normally what happens, is it? Most of us, when we die, we're dead. In fact, just about everybody that I've ever heard, of, once they die, it's final, it's dead. You're dead. This isn't the norm. If it was the norm for someone to be temporarily dead and then called back to life, you know what? I, I would be wasting my time right here. You know where I would be right now if that was the norm? I'd be down here in the emergency room. And I'd be waiting for them as they bring people in and they're doing CPR on them as they come in, Kathleen, and they're trying to, to, to get them. And I would say, step aside. He's not dead, he's just sleeping. And I would say, get up. If that was the norm. But this is not the norm. What, what is this? This is to teach the disciples and reveal to them that he is God. So let me say to you, and we have a lot of guests here, don't be gullible. Buying in somebody's story about dying and going to heaven and coming back to tell us about it. Let me say something to because a lot of money is being spent buying these books on these people that say they've been to heaven. Listen to this. If you want to learn about heaven, read your Bible. Everything God wants us to know about it is here. And if it's not in here, don't you think God wants there to be some surprises when we get there? We go, oh man, read your Bible. Dr. Luke records that at Jesus' words, her spirit returned. Now, there may be some Bible scholars here, Greek scholars, and that's okay, I'm glad you're here, who know that you maybe you know a little Greek and you're going to say, well, I know that this word for spirit in the Greek is pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A. That's how we spell it in English, from where we get our word pneumonia. And the word can be translated spirit or can be translated breath. So maybe it isn't talking about her spirit or who she is inside, you know, that goes on into, the, into heaven or hell. Maybe it isn't talking about her spirit leaving her, but maybe this is saying her breath has left her. And Jesus' words, with Jesus' words and Jesus' touch, as he reached out and picked up her hand, miraculously her breath returned. And I say, that's great. That's awesome. If that's what it means. Because what happens when you stop breathing? You die. Everything else stops as well, including your heart and your brain. So was she dead? I think there's no doubt. Yes, indeed, she was. So Jesus gets into the house and he clears the house of all except her parents and these three disciples. And he simply, Mark says, he takes her by the hand and he tells her, little girl, get up. How can he do that? 
And the answer is, you jot this down, he, because he's the giver of life. He's the one that creates life. He can give life back to the dead. He's the sovereign God. And Mark tells us that the others in the room were astounded. Again, I'll throw a little Greek at you, not that you need to remember this. The word astounded there, two Greek words, megas ecstasis. It means over the top ecstatic. That's what our word ecstatic comes from. Megas, you know what megas means. Huge, ecstatic. Mom, her tears are still flowing, but they're no longer tears of sorrow and grief and mourning. Now, mom's, she's got tears of joy. Dad's laughing. The disciples are going, something new. Then Jesus says something interesting. He says, Give her something to eat. She needs something to eat. Maybe she's been sick for days and hasn't eaten. Give her something to eat. She's, this girl is a picture of someone who has been given new life in Christ. This girl is a picture of someone who has been born again. And the lesson here, I think, is this. New Christians need spiritual food. Bible says that we start feeding new Christians milk. Simple things. And then watch them as they graduate to growing their spiritual teeth and they can begin to devour the spiritual meat. But it doesn't stop there. Spiritual food. New Christians need to be fed. That's why here at Nagshead Church, we're strong about some things. We don't apologize about some things. We say this is what we need to be doing. You need to be, for example, you need to be faithful here on Sundays. Why? Because we teach the Word of God here. And if you miss a Sunday, the good thing is uh, you can go and catch up on what you've missed on our podcast. I think that's wonderful. We, uh, we are strong about being in a connection group where you'll study with other believers and learn from each other. We're strong about taking our classes to teach and move you forward as a disciple. New believers need to be spiritually fed. But you know what? What about the rest of us who are not so new? We need something to eat too. And the goal is for you and for me as believers to grow and mature to the place where I am feeding not only myself, but I'm also feeding new believers now. You know, I have not had this happen in this church that I can recall. At least nobody's ever come up to me and said, um, Pastor Rick, uh, we just believe it's God's will for us to go and find another church. I have heard that before. Because we're just not being fed here. Now, new believers never say that. Isn't that interesting? You know who always is saying that when, when it's being said and telling my friends who are pastors? You know who comes up with that kind of crock? People have been Christians for 10, 12, 15, 20, 25, 30 years. We're just not being fed here. And I'm just waiting for the first person to come and say that to me. Rick, we're just not being fed here. Because my answer to that person is going to be, you know why? You're old enough now where you should be feeding yourself. You child. Grow up. You wimp. 
Or as the ladies say, put your big girl pants on, you know? Grow up. You've been saved for how long now? I've been saved for four decades. Good golly, Miss Molly. Feed yourself. Put the high chair away. That's not even in my notes. Now, (laughs) it's reasonable to believe that Jairus and Mrs. Jairus and their daughter, I think it's very reasonable to believe that soon after, if not immediately, they all became believers in Jesus. Would you not agree? They had heard about him and maybe even seen him when he was there in town earlier. They even believed that he was something special. Jairus believed he's able to heal. But now they know who he is. He is the Savior. He is the Son of God. And their lives will never be the same again. These two stories teach us. The story of the woman that met him on the way and Jairus' daughter. These two stories teach us that Jesus is there for desperate people who are out of hope. Christ is here for desperate people who are out of hope. If, if you today sense this Jesus is who and what you need for whatever is going on in your life, let me give you some good news. Can I say some good news? He's here. Right? We can't see him. He's here in the presence of the Holy Spirit. He's here. And like this woman and like Jairus, all he asks is that you believe in him completely. Our pastors will be standing here after this last song we're going to sing in just a moment. And if you'd like to find out how Jesus can change your life today, they'd be more than happy to introduce you to him. We've had in the last several weeks, we've had several adults come to Jesus. And some of them are going to be baptized tonight. One of them is sitting right here on the front row. Raise your hand, Richard. Yeah. Richard was what I, what I would call a slow train coming. <laughs> Been coming to church for how long? Over a year. Just taking it on, on the front row. You can tell he's not a Baptist yet. <laughs> and he will be tonight. Uh, if you're seeking that kind of change in your life, new life, transformation, please come talk to us. Maybe today's the day your day, to trust him with your life and your eternity. And, by the way, for those of us who are already Christians, seated in the back. (laughs) Just kidding, I'm glad you're here. We see how focused and how undeterred Jesus was in doing his mission. The doubters, the scoffers, the unbelievers didn't stop him. Don't let them stop you from your mission. You've also got a mission and you need the same determination and resolve that you're not going to be stopped in living it out for him. Let's bow for prayer. Once again, Father, we're able to look into the Gospels and pull out this great, amazing story of the wonderful works that Jesus did among men, and here even in a little small private group. There weren't weren't 5,000, 10, 20,000 people watching this miracle. There was just him and five adults. 
But he did these, these things to prove primarily to the Jewish people at that time that he indeed was their Messiah. He's the Son of God. He is God in flesh who came to redeem. I look forward one day, God, I really do look forward one day to, I want to find Jairus. And I want to ask him that question. So when the woman stopped you guys on the way, tell me the truth. How did you feel? But what was it like to see your little girl stand to her feet and hear her say, when Jesus said, give her something to eat, hear her say, yeah, I'm hungry. Thank you for changing lives. Thank you for the salvation that you give us, and it's free. Thank you that this man, Jairus, did not let his personal pride of being a leader in the synagogue and being... He's going to be scorned perhaps by people in town because he's fallen on his knees and begged Jesus. He did not let that pride come in the way of doing what needed to be done. And I pray, Father, that we as Christian people will put away our pride. That maybe someone here today who's not yet a Christian would put away his or her pride and, and say, it's not so important who I am. It's I need I need Jesus. I need to get to him. So thank you for your word. Thank you for, Lord, what it teaches us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God, love others, reach the world. 